Um, don't believe um, I don't know what you're talking about. I personally don't have an internet, but my wife, she has one, so I can deal with this. Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome back to the Uptown Punks. This is another podcast from coming live from us here. Um, one of our favorite topics, which is Gaia X. Um, but before we talk too much about our guest and what you guys can expect in the coming thing was quite a long one, an hour, five minutes. Um, I thought maybe we asked the genius behind the content of everything we do, Tim. Um, why is Gaia X so close to our hearts? Gaia X is so close to our heart because it is uh, a European German and French initiative for all the topics that we usually cover at our events anyways, meaning clouds, big data, and technical uh, digital infrastructure. Gaia-X is in relation to all of those topics we have at the show. And I think it has a huge potential for all players in the digital field for um, end users as well as tech providers, for consumers as well as um, vendors. And I think it is just a topic that you need to discuss because um, it is at a stage where it needs to be put on the road. It is imminent from being put on the road. And before being put on the road, as many people as possible need to understand what it is. I didn't personally understand all dimensions of Gaia-X um, like two months ago. Now I do understand perhaps 50% of it. So in order to get to 90%, we need to still put more research into it, talk mm -hmm. to more people who are involved with the project. And today we actually had a guest who was very informed and who saw it from a perspective that we did not yet have on the podcast, which is the legal one. So the legal entity, yeah, which is yes, um, the legal entity of Gaia X, and and it is a very interesting one. And um, perhaps I you just will... like talking to lawyers because that's you what I was answer about your to question say. 100. It's like a politician. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can, um, the only thing which I want to say is that. Like you said, it's a European-German flagship. Um, the thing what I liked about Oliver, the way he turned it when we asked him that question, he said that Gaia-X is more like an open-table concept and that everybody is should be encouraged and they want to encourage everybody to come and take part and sit on the big table and help structure that frame of how... Um, the European market should work, and uh, even the American neighbors are invited for that. So, yeah, um, and the Chinese too. So, no, yeah. it is it is a it is a global. Uh, it, it, it is it is a project born in Europe with global potential and potentially global reach, and if it becomes what people want it to become, it will be it will be great because it will be it will be reflecting the core values on which we have built uh, Europe 
and uh, much of the world anyways. But let's not dig too deep now because we're already getting into uh, what Oliver will explain to you afterwards. I can just uh, maybe point out one last thing that having a lawyer on a technical topic like Gaia X explaining the thing is a real benefit because lawyers, in order to work, what they need to do first is understanding it. And this guy has understood the thing and all its potential. And I, I was really happy to have him on the podcast. I really was. Yeah, it was a great honor to have him on the podcast. So everybody, I um, hope you guys enjoy. Take care. A wonderful good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Uptime Punks. So apparently we misbehaved, so we had to bring a lawyer on board now who is going to tell us what we have done wrong. Uh, jokes aside, no, we have a lovely guest today. It's Oliver Sume, who is um, a partner in the technology field for Field Fisher, and as well, he's a chairman at Echo. Hi, Oliver. How are you? Hi, thanks. I'm great. Thank you. It's it's lovely to have you here. Um, so we're going to ask you, of course, the questions that we ask everybody. Um, we want to know what was your first computer oh my first computer actually was a um, vz20 of commodore i don't know if you, you even remember it because that was in the early 80s when i was like 13 something like that and that was the very first thing and um, the first computer i ever had and we we used it um, well more or less for the same purposes like young people use it today mainly for gaming um, even if, if games have been different at that time a little bit for, for programming um, as well, but that was very limited, at least in my case, um, some very first steps um, in terms of basic, um, the language um, that we had back then in the 80s, um, but that was only, well, <laughs> yeah, only a very few first steps. So what was your favorite game? Was it Pac-Man or I don't know what games did they have back then? Zelda? Or no, I, the, 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 only, the only game I remember was a game named, named Choplifter. So you, you had, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that or I don't even know if it's- it's I think I was even born back then. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was called Choplifter and you were flying a helicopter and had to save uh, people and take them on board and fly them around, something like that. Um, that's what, what we played back then. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, do you remember your first mobile phone? I do not remember the concrete model. I remember it was a Sony. It was, um, I think, probably 1996, something like that. So it was quite a big device and a heavy device, not very comfortable and not smart at all. But um, you could text, you could, you could make phone calls and that that what was what was it what, what it was all about back then in terms of mobile phones yeah um do, do you do you have like um a, a gadget which you discovered during the lockdown period i don't know like myself and tim we live in london for example thomas is in frankfurt and munich um you're probably in hamburg between hamburg and all over the place i guess cologne as well because of the echo and everything um, did you discover for yourself some digital lockdown gadget, which you would say, this is my COVID gadget? Because for me, I have the smart bulbs at home. Um, some guys got a Kindle because they said they couldn't go to the bookstore anymore. So what did you discover for yourself? What did I discover? Um, I, I discovered an app um, that helps you planning cycling routes because I started to cycle during the lockdown phase. 
And what I discovered as well, um, unfortunately, is the Corona app. Um, the the Eco Association was was very closely involved in the planning, or more the the promotion of of this app once it was um, available in the German market. Um, so I followed uh, the development and the um, yeah promotion of of uh, this Corona app very closely, and. Well, that's unfortunately one of the digital <laughs> gadgets, one of the apps that I look at almost every day. Um, w w are you for the Corona app or you're against it? No, I'm absolutely for it. I think it's it's okay. a great it's a great um, invention, a very nice tool. It has it had some difficulties in the beginning, technical wise, and um, some controversial discussions about data protection, as you might um, have heard. But um, I think the result is great. Um, I think we count around 18 million downloads today. And uh, it would be great if, if even more people would make use of it. It cannot um, solve everything, but it can help a lot in, in fighting this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, me and Tim had a personal experience of it because a colleague tested positive and then uh -huh. um, 30 minutes later we got the notification. So we're both sitting now at home since two weeks. So hence why the lovely background. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, back to the cycling because me and Thomas are fanatics when it comes to cycling. Is it Komoot or is it Strava? Yes. It's Komoot, yeah. Uh, Komoot. Exactly. Have you ended up already in some, because this always happens to me, I always end up in some farm land yes. in the middle. <laughs> okay. Everybody I mean, has the same experience. <laughs> or you end something I you end something up where um, where you could ride, but you would destroy um, your, your bike if you, if you take that way. Um, yes, um, it's good for some uh, surprises, actually. Well, I've invited the founder of um, Komoot already to the podcast. He's going to be coming before Christmas. So I'm going <laughs> to use these things yeah. as an example and ask him. Okay, um, let's go on. Um, so our podcast is called Uptime Punks. So, of course, we ask everybody that comes on as a guest, how would you define for yourself uptime? What is uptime for you? How how do you see it? Is it um, if it comes to personal life or if it comes to work? What how do you define uptime? What does the term uptime stand for for you? Well, I would I would rather understand it from a non-technical perspective. Um, being a lawyer, maybe um, that that explains uh, my perspective on it. And um, well, uptime to me is is availability, professional availability. And that is something that um, has actually changed during um, the corona crisis, in particular during the lockdown phase. Um, maybe an experience that, that many of us made. Um, your availability changed. It is hard um, to um, stop working if you don't have um, an office, if you do everything from home. Um, your private life merges with, with all your professions and um, with your professional availability. Um, and that makes it actually pretty hard to define it, um, which is one of the many disadvantages um, that we all experienced during the lockdown, I would say. Okay, wow. And then, of course, we need to ask you, so what brought you into the field of first, what made you become a lawyer? What made you study law? What inspired you? Because every lawyer, um, my, my partner, she's a lawyer herself as well. So I ask her, well, I ask, her, is it okay to ask? Her? She said, yeah, well, it should be. And then why did you choose technology? Because that's also, it's, it's quite a new field, I would say, right? It's not that old yet um, compared to other legal fields which are out there. That's absolutely correct. And, and it was um, in particular very new and an unknown field of law when I started um, to work in that field. That was um, 1997 um, when I founded my, my, my first private law firm. Um, 
And yeah, what made me um, become a tech lawyer, I was very interested in the developments that came up back then. Um, it was the very early days of the internet. Um, we had um, the first internet service providers in Germany, maybe three or four back then. And we had the first, well, very, very careful slide business models, uh, mainly kind of agencies that helped companies to, to build their websites. Um, some first steps into e-commerce um, and a lot of legal questions already back then around um, domain names um, and how they are treated um, with regard to trademark laws. Um, and that was actually my first um, touching point. I, I had a number of friends who um, were starting their career um, in, in, in these very early internet days. And they came back to me saying, um, look, you're a lawyer. Um, can you tell me the answer on, can I use uh, this or that domain? Uh, it's free. I would like to register it. But I see there's another firm who's using that, um, but doesn't claim for the domain name so far. Can we do that? Um, what are the risks? And so on. That have been legal questions um, back then. And yeah, that was my touch point and my uh, entry gate into this industry and in my decision to become a tech lawyer. Oh, it's great. I mean, I think for you, it must be every day there's something new. So how do you keep yourself on track of the new developments and the new things that come up? Because do you then like go into one, do you go into like, let's say data, privacy, big data, AI, or do you just generally just try to keep yourself with conferences and reading a lot of materials probably on float or because it, it, it's quite a wild roam that you would have to cover, isn't it? That's true. I think the the key thing is you need to be interested in these things. I mean, if you're interested in something, you will you will follow um, the respective newsletters. Um, you will um, follow the respective people on Twitter or LinkedIn or elsewhere um, who um, who uh, promote um, new things, um, who report about uh, new legal technical developments, new legal questions that come up. Um, I think if you're interested in something, um, that's an auto automatic process more or less. And yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have any particular actions that I take. I just follow the things I'm interested in and um, that brings me up to date with everything that is important, I think. Man, that's great. Okay, so what brought you then to Gaia X? How did you get involved with the guys from Echo? Um, what brought you to them then? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with Echo already for almost 20 years. Um, it was um, 20 years ago, a very small association. I mean, nowadays it has more than 1,100 members um, from, I think, 70 countries. Um, the first meeting that I had with Harald Summer more than 20 years ago, who is uh, still uh, the CEO of the association, um, was in Hamburg. And, and back then, ECO counted like maybe 40 members. Yeah, that was it. And um, everyone knew everyone. And it was a very small group. And well, I stayed with it for, for all these years. And then I became elected um, as a board member. And then I became elected as the chair of the board. Um, which makes me very proud and happy um, for four years now, three or four years. And that's, well, how um, I'm, I've always been connected to this um, beautiful association. And with regard to, to Gaia X, um, um, we actually um, had a meeting um, with the German Minister for Economics, I think like two years ago, and his staff. 
and some people from the eco staff and we discussed like many others um, with the ministry uh, discussed um, the future of uh, digitization for the german economy and society and um, that was one of the meetings where um, not under the name gaia x um, but discussions started around um, a potential new um, digital infrastructure for data for cloud services that might be needed for Germany and Europe in order to catch up um, and um, yeah, follow up um, with uh, these very important steps into digitization. Yeah, it's because like for us, like um, it always seemed like Germany is a bit behind because when it comes to, I mean, we have the right technologies, we have the brightest minds in the world, but um, sometimes it just takes us probably too long to sit down on a table and find all the little details um, before we um, actually make a decision to move forward with things. Um, but yeah, Gaia X, um, do, do you know what inspired the name Gaia X? Where does the name Gaia X come from? Well, Gaia is a, um, a Greece goddess, um, a very powerful one. And I think that's that's maybe the idea behind it. Um, the goal was to create something not only meaningful, but also powerful. Um, and uh, many people understand Gaia-X as an entity or as a project um, that um, has been established to compete um, with very powerful players, right? Um, like the, the big US cloud and hyperscaler providers, um, which spent um, millions and billions into the development of their cloud infrastructure. So you would actually need a very powerful entity and a powerful um, tool or project um, if, if, if you will, would like to compete um, with entities like that. and. That might be the idea behind the name. Okay, wow. So it's a little bit to scare off the enemy, basically. Well, <laughs> Andreas, we had Andreas Weiser. He said, we're not trying to fight against the Americans. We're here to That's true. establish ourselves. It's live and let live. So it's the polite way of um, keeping an eye, very close eye. Keep, keep your friends very, no, keep your enemies very close and your enemies, you know, keep your enemies very close and your friends even closer or something like this. That's how the saying goes, but yeah. Um, so is Gaia-X an illegal entity itself? Because is it a company? Is it an association? What is it? Um, it is how's it defined legally? Yes, um, that is um, a very good question. And there have been long and controversial discussions about what would be um, the right legal framework and um, the the right legal entity um, to, to coordinate um, such an ambitious project. Um, and at the end, it um, has been decided to set up um, a nonprofit um, association, uh, in this case, under Belgian law. Um, why Belgian? Um, obviously, because um, Brussels um, is uh, a very important player here. If you look um, at the overall goal of Gaia-X um, to, to become a pan-European project, a pan-European not only organization, but also um, a, a European cloud and data infrastructure. And against that background, I, I actually think um, that um, Belgian law and Brussels um, as the um, yeah, as the place to be for, for this entity was a very wise decision. And also important to understand that, that it's non-for-profit. Um, the goal is not um, to um, make revenues. The goal is to provide a neutral, um, trustful, trustworthy um, 
and um, compliant um, European data infrastructure. And um, I think um, for this purpose, um, the right entity has been chosen, actually. So does this mean that all European states have access to that project then? In in a in an idle world. Um so because I'm thinking then, okay, sitting in the UK now, Brexit is coming, um What's going to happen? The guys from Gaia X are going to take a massive scissor and cut the underwater cables going over to the UK, and then <laughs> we don't have an internet well, connection anymore. It's exactly the other way around. Um, it's it's not about excluding um, someone or some some states. It is in particular not about excluding potential members from outside the European Union. Um, we already now see a lot of not only, not only interest but a lot of support. Um, also from very, very big players from the US. Um, so everyone is invited, everyone um, can participate, um, be it in the broader Gaia-X community or be it um, um, as, as a member. Um, that is open um, to everybody. Um, however, it is true uh, that as a non-European member, there are some restrictions with regard to um, what committees um, you might attend or where you can send your representatives. Um, but the general rule is it's open to everybody, um, in particular also, as I said, to, to potential service providers from Asia or from, from the US market. Yeah, so it's basically building a platform, um, maybe even more like a regu regulatory body in Europe that regulates the the internet and the infrastructures and everything in the cloud providers. Is, is that a right way of looking at it, that um, yes. business has to be fair? Um, it, in a way. It's self-work related, indeed. Uh, one of one of the core ideas is to create something that is self-regulated and self-invented by the players um, who would like to um, offer Gaia-X services on the one hand side and um, looking at the industry um, being potential future clients of these services on the other hand um, that everyone hopes um, will come up in the near future. Um, so how would you say that Gaia-X um, supports the European economy? Um, is there, if, if, I'm, if I run a business now in, let's say, in Frankfurt, um, how, does, how would Gaia-X um, be able to support my day-to-day -day business? Um, how would I feel the effects of Gaia-X and the benefits? Yeah, I think it's indeed a very important part um, for the next steps of the European economy into digitization, because I think we are at the very beginning. Um, if you speak to people from the industry, uh, from economy also to, to the Ministry for Economics in Germany, they, they all see the big potential in those parts of the industry um, that forever had made had been made Europe strong. We have a lot of uh, production uh, industries in Europe. Um, we um, have very good companies and sectors in terms of automotive, um, mobility, energy. All these key sectors are only at the very beginning of their journey um, to and through digitization. And that means that they need to, to not only store, but also um, process and in particular share um, data along certain value chains. Um, and um, to, to do so, it is important um, to have, um, well, an infrastructure that not only fits these needs, but at the same time is secure, um, is built up um, upon European standards, 
culture-wise, um, but in particular also um, in terms of um, the regulatory framework and compliance and, and the GDPR and data protection is one important part, one part of many parts. Um, but um, that is one of the goals of Gaia-X to make sure uh, that um, these services for these future developments for the industries um, are not only available in terms of um, that that um, they they fit these technical needs, but also meet um, the um, legal requirements um, that we have in Europe. Yeah, um, I can imagine the policymakers don't make it easy either, because probably rules and regulations change every day everywhere. Um, do you have some use cases for us? To I mean, we we know a great example of Echo is probably ServiceMeister. Um, is there other use cases where you could see how Gaia-X would bring in some benefits? That's really interesting. If you if you look at uh, the things that are currently under development, um, the interesting thing to see is that the use cases come from almost every sector. And that demonstrates really um, that nowadays um, data digitization, data sharing and internet is very much driving every industry and every sector. Uh, so you see um, the development of use cases, for example, in the financial markets. Um, banks and financial service providers um, are working on use cases. You see it in the sector of, of health and life science, um, where, where you have some interesting developments as well. You see it in mobility. You see it um, also in, in agriculture and farming. Um, so almost every sector is working on its use cases, and that is just the beginning. Uh, I think it's fair to say that um, not everything um, is, uh, well, close to market entry. Um, sometimes it's, it's uh, in, in some very early stages, but at least it demonstrates that there is quite a huge interest of almost every industry sector um, in, in making use of these Gaia-X services and in, in building up um, these these um, data ecosystems, which I think is one of um, the core idea and core goal of, of uh, Gaia-X Cloud and um, providing and hyperscaler and all that, um, that is one part of the game. But I think really in terms of digitization of the economy as a whole, these um, data ecosystems will play a fundamental role in the future. So you think Gaia-X will help connect all these data ecosystems then basically? Do you think it's gonna move away from from having larger hyperscalers and big data centers to which we had a couple of times already where we discussed, we said, well, each village is gonna have their own little micro data center, which is gonna be connected to a bigger network. So um, because for example, we had um, Florian Baumann from Dell, um, he does AI, he does all this autonomous driving, all these chips and all these things. And if you think about the, the data which these self-driving cars, like let's say a Tesla generate, right? Um, this needs to be uploaded somewhere. So this means then each household will actually need a, a small edge data center in each household. And then that needs to be connected to a bigger network. And yeah, this is, do you see it? Do you think this is even a realistic picture? The way um, we're going to push the digital transformation and do, do you think the timelines, I don't know, how do you see it in 10 years, 20 years? Um, when when do we really see the benefits from these things? Because if you look at it till today, if you drive from Munich airport, um, so my family lives in Austria, which is just after Garmisch. If you drive 
through central Munich, you always come, um, when you get close to the center, the mobile phone signal is just <laughs> gone. Um, so this is a classic example. And we're speaking, uh, Gaia X sounds for me like beautiful, like music. It's a, a great idea. But when do you think time-wise it will be actually, well, potentially ready and people will see the end product? Yeah, that's a very exciting question, actually, and, and hard to, to make a forecast here. Um, I mean, we, we are very close to the next um, major milestone. There will be a Gaia-X summit, um, I think, on 18th and 19th of, of November. Um, that will be an online um, format, of course, where um, the German Minister for Economics, Peter Altmaier, um, his French um, pendant um, and the uh, commissioner um, Brantin from the European Commission together will present um, the um, then current status of the project and will also outline the next steps. And I think that is kind of a kickoff for the European rollout. Um, however, we, we need to acknowledge um, that these, these services um, and the standards and the architecture that is developed under Gaia-X is still in development. Um, I'm not absolutely sure about the internal uh, timeline, um, but I think um, it will take at least until the beginning or mid-2021, maybe longer, um, to have all these standards and the architecture um, ready um, so that um, we can see not only the first, well, use cases, but really real cases um, that uh, hopefully I would say by the end of 2021 um, may come up. And um, so I think that would probably be the, the starting point um, where this thing can go live, so to speak. Um, who would you say is um, the, 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 the greatest support of the project? Is it the, the German cloud providers or is it the European ones that are supporting this Gaia-X? Is it, uh, well, in Germany you have a couple of big uh, cloud providers. Is it them that supported the most or who needed the most convincing at the beginning? Um, if you go a couple of steps back and think about when you guys first came up with the initiative, you said, okay, this is this is a roadmap, this is what we want to do. Um, then probably you guys said, well, let's speak to all the hosters and the providers. Um, what was for you guys the biggest obstacle you had to overcome till where you're at at the moment? Um, I'm actually not aware of real obstacles. It was um, very interesting to, to see and to experience that there was a huge interest and, and not from a particular group. And that's really um, the amazing thing about Gaia-X. You saw a huge interest from the industries, very big um, companies from the automotive sector, but also small and medium-sized um, companies that um, most people would not even know the name of, right? And on the, on the cloud or data side, um, institutions, um, scientific institutions, for example, amongst uh, medium-sized and, and um, smaller cloud providers, but also um, the big players, of course. So you had really from every part of the online world and from every part of the industry and from every size of, of companies, um, a huge interest in helping um, to shape and to build this. And I think that is really a very good starting point to see from the very beginning that it's not driven by uh, particular uh, interests of big companies or only one sector on the industry side, but on a, it has a very broad um, 
back up from, from um, almost all sectors. I think Tim wants to ask you a question. Yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> yes. So what, what interests me is this notion of digital sovereignty that we briefly um, talked about in the beginning and also last time with, um, with your colleague from ECHO, uh, Andreas Weiss. Unfortunately, in German uh, only. So I'll reiterate here. Um, could you define what to you digital sovereignty would mean? Um, from from any perspective given? Yes, I think it is very important to define what it should not mean. I think we need to make sure, and that is a misunderstanding that, that you see um, in a lot of discussions and even in, in media coverage when they report about GAIA-X. It is not about um, stepping back into nationalism. It is not about excluding other market players from what is um, developed here. It is uh, more in a positive way about bringing transparency into a very um, difficult market, into a very um, market that is um, very heterogene. Um, you have completely different needs for cloud and data um, spaces and cloud and data infrastructure depending on a sector, depending on the size of a company, depending on the needs of a certain value chain that can be very, very different. Um, and the key thing about digital sovereignty to me is um, providing the market with transparency about what is available, what options they have in order to drive their business and to bring their business into digitization. Um, and to be able to make the right and in particular a free choice without being excluded from uh, certain offers or um, on the other hand without being forced uh, to join one certain product or provider because others are not available. Um, I think that's very much um, the thing about digital sovereignty. Okay yeah so I think I agree with you you should not um, fall back into nationalism, even 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 on a larger scale, like European mm -hmm. scale nationalism. Um, but it is still a very political project to me, at least. And um, maybe maybe let's talk about in 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 what way it is still political. Because you've talked about markets, you've talked about providing solutions. So it all sounds like. Yeah, it's 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 good for business. It's good for it's good for the people. But is, 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 there there is still some kind of sly political notions um, notion in it in in terms of, and that's perhaps also why the media is so eager to portray it in a certain way because it is political, isn't it? It is absolutely political, and um, we we should absolutely not forget um, the political goal or or political narrative behind it. Um, the the task. Well, the challenge for Germany and for Europe as a whole, um, and in particular as an economy, is um, to catch up um, in terms of digitization um, with the US and with Asia. Um, we are all aware of the fact that Europe um, lost the competition of platforms. Uh, if you look into the most um, valuable companies um, on the globe, everyone is aware of the fact uh, that um, with some minor exemptions, you will not find um, any European platform operator within the top 20 or top 30 um, of these lists. 
So um, that competition has been lost, and I think um, it, it, there is no way to catch up um, in that business. Um, if you look to other fields, um, there I would say there are good chances to catch up in other fields. Uh, for example, if, if you look at the developments of artificial intelligence, um, that is something where we have not yet lost the race. We see um, advantages, of course, um, in the US. We see big advantages, but also due to different regulatory frameworks in Asia, in particular in China. Um, on the other hand, um, we have, um, I think, a great basis for the development of artificial intelligence uh, in Europe. So that is one part of the field um, where we could catch up. And um, in order to do so, I think it's important for, for industries and for potential um, companies that apply AI in their businesses that they can make use um, of the right data infrastructure for that. Uh, and, and in that regard, I think um, Gaia-X plays a very fundamental role. And that is also the pol political driver behind it, because um, if uh, Germany and Europe will not be able to catch up in that regard, we will just lose, um, well, a global battle and a global global um, global challenge and um, competitive market um, if we are not able to provide our own services and to to set up our own ideas here right so that's 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 a very geopolitical view i, I guess and um I, I i could not contradict what you what you just said but perhaps add something on top in in terms of um standard for the comp competitive advantage um, that that you hope to gain through such a project, isn't it? Namely, the fact that people know that their data is protected. Um, people know that it is a transparent, open source and secure ecosystem of platforms, which is perhaps not given in Asia and America, isn't it? Which leads me to the question of the recent privacy shield ruling i know there is some link there um but perhaps i leave it to you to explain and expose this link as a lawyer and legal legal expert yes thank you um well uh indeed uh, this um decision of the european court of justice that you are referring to the, the so-called schrems 2 decision named uh, named after the activist uh, max schrems as, as many people will know who um uh, kind of kicked off uh, these um, legal proceedings um killed the privacy shield and that means um from a legal but also economic perspective that it killed one of the most important uh, legal grounds for transferring data, in that case, um, from Europe um, to the US. Um, but not only that, but as a side note um, of this decision of the European Court of Justice, it was also, was also stated that a second very important legal ground for international data transfer has at least been questioned. And those are the so-called standard contractual clauses. Um, this is a, course, um, is a set of clauses that has officially been approved by the European Commission. And this serves as a legal ground um, for any kind of third, um, third country data transfer, not only with regard to the US, but if a company um, wants to transfer data to any country outside the European Union, you need, a legal, you need a legal ground for that. 
And these standard contractual clauses are, well, I would say the most important um, legal ground in doing so. And uh, unfortunately, the decision of the European Court of Justice left um, a number of unanswered questions um, because it is not, not clear um, what you have to do now or how you would need to adjust or add these standard contractual clauses in order to still use them in a compliant way. And that counts in particular for the US, but also for, for, for as I said, many other third party countries. So um, yes, um, it has huge uh, economic impact. You currently see a lot of legal uncertainty with many European um, companies um, that have to rely on, uh, on a safe and a certain legal ground for international data transfer. And unfortunately, some voices um, were very happy about uh, this verdict because they said the best and most secure place to store and uh, process data uh, anyway is Europe. We don't need to store data uh, outside and companies shouldn't do so. Unfortunately, um, even some data protection authorities have welcomed um, this verdict and said um, they would consider any data transfer to the US as um, illegal after this verdict, um, which first of all is absolutely not the case and secondly ignores the fact that our whole economy um, relies on uh, international data transfers, no matter if that is the US or any other market. Um, I mean, that's the key idea and the benefit of, of the internet and digitization, that we have um, a borderless free flow of data. And I think it's, it's ignorant to believe um, that the um, pure or exclusive storage in, in one specific jurisdiction can resolve that. It's the other way around. We, we need a safe system for international data transfer. And that's what currently um, the European Commission and the US administration is working on. And I do very much hope that we have a new solution in the very near future. Okay. Wow. Uh, many aspects covered here. Thanks for um, for 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 making the link. Perhaps um, there are two ways to go now. I could ask you. Um, I could ask you three things. So, but I, I'll ask only two. Let's say, for example, do you believe that perhaps when Gaia X is road ready or on the street that it could be the solution to the problem that you just described namely um, american cloud and platform providers joining the project making sure that their way of storing and, and processing data wherever they are um, adhere to the guidelines here um, do you think that with gaia x there is there is some kind of solution in place to 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 this problem, or or is it is it false to believe that? I think it's actually at least part of the solution. Gaia X will not be able um, to solve anything and and every question around these um, well well very challenging topic international data transfer, but. Um, if it works out as it is planned, it will provide new options for many companies. Uh, it will provide um, a European solution. And I think there are a number of companies in the market, maybe in particular uh, medium-sized companies, um, that would be very happy if they could um, go for alternative solutions, if they not um, 
in any case, um, need to um, make use of um, cloud service or data infrastructure providers from other countries, uh, regardless where they where they are based um, outside the European Union, because you have um, huge parts on the market um, that do not need to rely to to third party providers or third country providers um, with uh, in terms of their business. On the other hand, and that's why I say GaiaX can only be a part of the solution. You will always have the need for global players. You will always have the need for um, huge cloud um, companies and data spaces and hyperscalers and edge computing um, operators that serve the needs in particular um, of, of multinational companies um, with a huge and very international data volume and the urgent need of, of, of course, exchanging and transferring these data globally from A to B to C to D. Uh, and that is something that Gaia-X um, cannot solve and which is not the goal of Gaia-X. Um, so yeah, again, it is part of the solution, but it cannot um, solve everything. Okay, okay. Yeah, thanks for that. I. Um... I'm almost done. So the, <laughs> um, there is, after this ruling, was a rumor or a, an idea going around that now that data can't be transferred so easily to the States, it's actually good for a European data center market because we already see many hyperscalers building in Ireland, building in Sweden, being building even in, in Germany again, where space is, at least in the metropolitan region, becoming uh, start to become limited namely in Frankfurt but still building is is in progress and and Sweden particularly as we know is a, is a is a provider of waste uh, spaces with cheap and clean energy to say it in a in a quick and placative way perhaps so ideally what happens is that all the big cloud providers and 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 data infrastructure providers come to Europe, build the data centers. There is no more need to transfer to the US because it's in the EU. And uh, on top of that, it benefits the data center market and every market tied to it. That would be an ideal scenario, isn't it? And do you think this is likely to happen? And then again, maybe from a legal perspective, because that's the crucial thing here. Can you actually, how would you proceed to prove um, that this particular company stored a particular set of data in a particular place. Do you know what I mean? Amazon could say, yeah, I'm storing it in Sweden. How do you prove something like that? Well, that's that's basically part of the contract, right? If, if, if an operator says, um, our contract says that we are obliged um, to, to store the data or our service that we are committed to, um, it means that we are storing data in Europe, they have to do so. And um, I, I wouldn't ask someone actually or a, a reliable company to demonstrate that to me. Um, even even that is part of a lot of contracts. You have auditing rights, uh, not only under the GDPR, but also in data center um, and hosting contracts in order um, to to be able to, to um, investigate in that and make sure um, that the service levels that you have been granted um, are, are compliant. Um, so that is that is a contractual thing to me and something that well relates very much to the business model. Um, apart from that, 
Yes, I mean, your, your question was um, just does the privacy, privacy shield decision um, help these the development of these European providers? And um, I actually think it does. Um, um, as I said, it doesn't solve anything, but um, I know that there are a number of companies from the European market who see that also as a chance um, and uh, arguing, look now um, uh, that it's not, or at least in part, um, not possible, or at least more difficult um, to, to go for a compliant data transfer to third parties. Why don't you um, use our services? Because um, you don't have to deal with that if you have a service provider that operates exclusively in Sweden, uh, in Ireland, or elsewhere. So for, for many companies, um, this decision might be helpful. Um, but from a more global perspective, as I said, I, I don't think it, it resolves everything. Um, but it, yes, I would agree um, to, to some extent, um, it helps um, local in terms of European service providers. Oliver, um, <clears throat> great uh, that uh, actually um... I would like to give you a little bit update what we heard. We had uh, yesterday um, Florian Baumann from the CTO of Dell um, to the subject of AI. And uh, that's why I like to comment. Yes, we lost the, uh, the race uh, of the big platforms globally. But um, you mentioned it um, in the terms of uh, AI. Um, we are pretty close. And I think if uh, the Gaia X could support that and, uh, or even that gives us a little bit the things ahead that um, because in terms of technology, we are not, we are pretty much even. That's what Florian said. And uh, he's really strong in that uh, part here. As well as what I think uh, we had Gary last week um, from Host of Ireland uh, in terms of uh, we are here, the uptime is about uptime, it's about data center. The data center, basically, um, in an academy, we're teaching them from the facility side. But um, we are here at uh, SAP. I think a data center will be um, rather sooner than later a commodity, you know, because it's just a house for the IT. Yeah. What Gary said, and uh, that's why I think, and uh, that's why great to have you here on the show, is it's all about the data. It's all about the security of the data and how we handle it. And um, if we can find a way um, on a European level that uh, companies feel secure, I think it could be a big, big advantage. That's why I think initiatives like IAX, uh, the ECO um, Verband is so important that uh, we basically work on that. So. From your perspective, I mean, you you mentioned there's going to be um, um, a show, an announcement. Uh, when do you think, Gaia, there are already some initiatives, but when is the ecosystem, I call it the ecosystem, that's what we learned. Uh, when is the ecosystem ready that it's basically really ready to use for for the broad range of companies here out there? What's What's your guess, your estimation? You are the, the chairman of the board, so I'm sure you have opinion on that. <laughs> I have a personal view on that. I'm I'm not personally um, involved in the development um, of the Gaia X standards and all these things, um, 
but my guess would be, um, and I, I think I said it earlier, um, end of 2021 um, would be a point of time where I would expect that we see the first real cases uh, and that the infrastructure and the standards are ready and that also the um, project um, movement of, of things that we see as use cases under development now will have reached um, a stadium um, and, and uh, a situation where they can go to market. Uh, and um, I, I also expect um, a very heavy positive dynamic once we see the first cases, because if you see the first cases in the market, others will follow. And that's why I'm very happy about to see the first use cases coming up from so many different sectors. Uh, that's exactly what we need. And, and the more we see from different sectors, the more others from these respective sectors will follow. And um, in that regard, I, I absolutely agree what you said about um, what we already have in Germany to develop AI and AI applications. Um, we, we have a good technology in many companies and in many um, application service providers. Um, we have basically uh, a good data center infrastructure. We need to invest in that um, heavily in the future in order to also have an infrastructure for the future that can serve all the needs that are only coming up in the next years. Um, what still is missing, and that would be my, my third expectation if we want to be successful in AI compared to other regions in the world, we need the right legal and regulatory framework. And, and that is something that is on the very top priority list of the current European Commission. Um, I think it has been announced that they will come up with a first proposal to regulate AI by the end of this year or beginning of 2021. And that is, of course, a very important and, well, sensible part of the whole game because there are a lot of concerns and I'm personally, and the ECO Association is one of the associations that are in particular concerned about that this could bring too much regulation and that this could bring too much um, hurdles and barriers for the invention and application of AI. Um, and we are unfortunately in Europe, but also in particular in Germany, very good in overregulating and very good in seeing the risks before we see the chances and to discuss over and over again um, with all sorts of um, working groups and gremiums and organizations and authorities and to make everything perfect. Um, and that would be something that uh, could really, well, maybe not destroy, but at least um, hindering uh, and be an obstacle um, for this very important development. So that is something we are very much um, looking forward to. And I hope we will see a proposal for an innovation-friendly and flexible regulatory framework for artificial intelligence. No, uh, that, that's great. Um, my background, I lived, uh, I had a company for uh, seven years in the States. I lived there. Uh, basically, my glass was always half full. We just did it. So uh, hopefully it's not happening because I think uh, you build a great ecosystem. Let's hope uh, the legislation will work in our way. It's not hindering. It's not be a setback. But as well, once it's ready, 2021, uh, you know, we are all set, uh, basically have a setback here in the COVID crisis. Uh, but 2021, uh, um, and this is the platform is about, uh, was Paul's idea to promote it, get the message out there about the great projects. 
once we have the real applications out there, then I think uh, we should do it like the Americans. Talk about it, bring it out there, let's get loud and uh, talk about the good things we have. And that's why we started here. And a year from now, once you guys are ready, uh, you know, we had a lot of colleagues from you um, out of the industry, out of the Gaia-X project, I mean, already on the show. Uh, we will talk about it, we'll try to promote it. And let's do it the American way because we had a lot of, a lot of great things here in Europe. And uh, you make sure that uh, we don't get uh, too much setbacks concerning the legal constraints out there. I'm happy to do so. Thank you, <laughs> Paul. Um, I'm 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 just wondering. So how 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 are you going to regulate AI? I mean, this is going back to the movie uh, Machine Learning or something like this, where you say, well, a computer is not allowed to be smarter than this. <laughs> so and the computer's done out to the humans is. Is that sort of a, what everybody's looking at? Because even with Florian yesterday, so um, we discussed with him a couple of things, and I said, do you think that too much AI, this is going away now from Gaia-X, but do you think too much AI is just going to make the human being stupid? Um, I mean, yourself, you, you're a lawyer, you studied many years to get to where you're at now, while if you take a younger chap and put him next to you, he's maybe 20 years old and he knows how to use a computer, and he just goes on Google and he can probably absorb all the knowledge that you have within two clicks of a mouse. Um, so it comes back to the question, do you, do you think that too much AI or, or part of the regulation is also that the computers don't become smarter than us and outsmart us? Or how do you see it? No, I actually believe that it's the other way around. AI makes people smarter. If you If you see how, in particular, young people um, work with AI-based um, applications um, with uh, digital applications in general, um, I think we don't have any proof for that this makes um, people stupid or that they um, are not interested or they're not learning anymore. I think it's the other way around. It changes the way how we learn. It will, of course, change the way we live and it will, in particular, change the way we work. Um, but that doesn't mean um, that uh, the machines or uh, the software um, is getting smarter um, than the humans. Um, but I think it will change um, our way in thinking. Um, but uh, I think um, into a positive way. And I'm, I'm absolutely uh, believing um, that people will get smarter by using smart technologies. Um, maybe you can tell us also a little bit um, about maybe I don't know maybe you had some interesting cases you have worked on. What would you say was for you one of the most interesting ones, most passionate ones you were involved? If it was a scientist who invented I don't know um, some product and he absolutely got screwed by everybody over the place and he felt it's more like a moral ethical <laughs> obligation to help this man um, save us. Because I'm sure you, you deal probably a lot with uh, patents for intellectual properties, probably of people who develop some coding or something, uh, or maybe you can talk a little bit about that. So me personally, I'm, I'm not a patent or trademark lawyer. If, if, if it comes to that, um, we have great colleagues who would take care for that. Uh, but if you, if you ask me for interesting cases or for some case that I remember, let me tell you the story of the very first internet-related case that I had in front of a court in Germany. That was, I think, in 1997 or 1998. And you can imagine um, the level of awareness um, of a court 
back then. And I will never forget that I was in this um, court hearing um, room and the judge was back then something like 65 years old. So he was prepared and he was reading my, my file and um, what, what we claimed for. And when he opened up the hearing, he said, um, don't believe, um, I don't know what you're talking about. I personally don't have an internet, but my wife, she has one, so I can deal with this. And that was really such a, such a great opening and such a great way of how this judge thought he would understand the internet that I will never forget that. So I think for you probably, because you have grown in your profession with the internet, with the industry, so I think probably you had to educate every time a judge or um, even your colleagues about what is actually going on, what is this, what we are defending here, or... Um, so a, how, if, if somebody hires you then as a lawyer, do they have do they explain then their product first to you? Because it like nowadays must be probably some new revolutionary uh, products that people come in and walk uh, into the door with. That's, that's absolutely the case. I mean, that's that's the great thing about being a technology lawyer. You are very much at the forefront of, of new um, technological developments, um, because in particular, um, if they are data or in a broader sense, internet based with the development of such technologies um, at a very early stage um, are also coming up in a number of legal questions. Uh, so um, um, I always love projects where we are involved um, as lawyers at a very um, early stadium stages, um, because then um, you can still shape things. And um, we always try to, to not say, no, this is not possible. We, of course, always try to say, not like this, but if we do it like that, so this could be a solution. Um, uh, that's what what I understand as a good advice of a lawyer, and that's that's really amazing that that you that you learn so much about technologies, which also means at a very early stage you learn about how business models change, um, how how markets change sometimes, and um, so being a technology lawyer means learning something new every day, not only in terms of technology, but also um, in terms of all the legal stuff, because um, you always have situations where you can't give precise answers uh, because you don't have laws, you don't have cases, you don't have judges for many of the things we are dealing with. And that provides, um, in many cases, a lot of flexibility and legal creativity. And that's what I really love about my job. And would you say this is this is for you the biggest challenge even which you see in the future for your profession, which is going to be that it's just such a fast developing industry that it's really hard to keep up. But where do you see from as I mean, industry, the industry is developing in different direction, but where do you see the biggest, well, the biggest horizon where you would say, well, this is going to be a problem from a legal point of view one day? Is it going to be that um AI or big data, whatever it is that this, it's just technology without borders. So once you don't have the borders, what kind of legislations would fall into place or what kind of courts would you fight your court cases in? Um, do you see this as one of the challenges that's going to come up? Or what would you say is one of the dangers which is waiting? Well, I always like to say it's like a pink elephant in the room. You can see it, you know it's there, but you know it's going to come one day and sit on you. So how, how would you define it? What do you think is going to be the biggest challenge in the future for guys like you? Well, um, technology-wise, I would really say from a current perspective, AI is, is challenging. 
um, also with regard to, to a potential legal framework and many answers uh, that come up um, with the use of AI. Um, but um, as, as lawyers and as part of the legal market, we also see um, very interesting um, changes in our own market, in our own sector. Um, just just everything around the buzzword legal tech. How do technologies um, change the advice that lawyers and law firms give today? Um, to what extent will legal tech or will it not um, replace the legal advice as we know it today? What will that do with, with legal fees? Uh, what will that do with the qualification that lawyers need in the future? And how will that change um, the services um, that are provided by lawyers and by law firms on the one hand side, and that will be required by clients and potential clients in the future on the other hand. That will also really change my, my very own profession and, and my market. And, um, and that is very challenging. We are, we are very active at Field Fisher in, in developing um, legal tech solutions and um, being on, on top of this development because we see and we believe that this um, in parts can also change our own market. And um, we have seen that um, in, in many markets before, um, uh, the press and media uh, industry, uh, the music industry, um, some technology providers um, did not survive because of new technologies and because of not catching up with these developments. And that is something that I hope um, at least our film can learn from and be at the forefront of these developments. Yeah, because I, I lived for many years in Dubai, and Dubai we have a good old saying, which was, if you snooze, yeah. you lose. <laughs> so that's that's basically what it is. Um, yeah, because I, I can imagine, because like in, in old days, if you would get a tenant to rent an apartment, you would go get your house, well, your family lawyer to draft a contract. Nowadays, you have a homepage, fills it out for you automatically. I mean, technology is also developing in that direction. So you need to it's it's pretty hard to keep up with the times and yeah but i think you guys are doing a great job at it i mean i looked also at the profile and everything and i think you guys are on top thank of you so much and uh, and you're leading i think you're the you're the knight in shining armor leading in the front with gaia x and uh, the goddess right <laughs> gaia x that was a goddess exactly in the background all right um so i wanted to thank you oliver um i would say the last word is with the guest and um, maybe you can say some last nice words and then it was really a pleasure to have you here yes it, it was my pleasure thank thank you much, very much for having me um uh, yes i think uh, really to to well to sum up um gaia x is a very interesting and promising project um but we also need to make sure that it's not pure hype you see a lot of hype also around it um it can help with a lot of um, political and economical challenges that we have to face. Um, but it's not the only answer to everything. I, I think that is a very important message. Um, but I'm uh, very confident um, that this will change a lot and that it is um, a project that can be one part in helping Europe to catch up in this global um, competition challenge of digitization. Right, that was really great. It was it was like the judge from the movie, the judge giving us a little lecture about legislations, frameworks, 
and he's a very interesting person. And I think one of the most fascinating things is when I ask him what is one of the cases he remembers the most, and he says, well, it was my first case because the judge told me, well, my wife has Wi-Fi, or no, my wife has internet at home. I know what you're talking about. And this just shows you that this man, Oliver Sumer, he's not just a lawyer, he's he's also an educator. He educates people every day on a daily basis. And I think that's also what was his calling to go to ECHO and help there with the Verband and association and everything to help educate people, educate, even educate the government. I mean, um, it's like, this is why people like him are really the pillars of the internet industry in, in Europe and um, worldwide. And it was a great honor and pleasure for us, especially for me to have him on the podcast. And can tell you one thing, Gaia X, there's going to come a lot of more stuff. Um, we have already some new guests lined up. Um, yes, we're not going to say too much. And me and Tim think we're going to make a little like WWF fight, pros and cons of Gaia X, but let's not get into too much into details. Tim, what was your thoughts on, on the podcast with Oliver? Yeah, amazing one. Like, um, I hope you enjoyed it, uh, listeners, and um, I hope you, you, you had some takeaways. Maybe just to... to point out how important it is to get people uh, together to talk about technology in general because uh, Oliver isn't isn't a tech guy right I think he he knows how to code but he doesn't he doesn't code on a daily basis he's a lawyer and still he shapes technology he's the, he shapes the future of the cloud in Europe if you want and it, it it underlines how important it is for us not to be afraid to get in, in in touch with technology and try to participate in it with what we can do and and, and our skills right if you're yeah. a journalist or a, or, or a sociologist or a teacher or whatever you can still work on technology and technology needs that in order to get pushed forward it's not about the guy who has studied computer science and who is cracking code and and all that on a daily basis, they're really important. They they are the foundation, but you need more than a foundation to build the house. That's my view, at least. And um, well, yeah, I think that's, uh, I agree that's, with you partially, Tim. But I think technology it becomes more like an essence of life, same as the air we breathe and the water we drink. Because without tech, I mean, everybody has experienced it now during lockdown, during COVID. Um, if your internet doesn't work, basically. Yeah. You, you shut out of the world. Um, yeah, yeah, it is um, that. And it, 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 re it rejoins so much of what I always say to, to the guests about like, what, what, how much of this technology we need to understand? Because we still need to understand um, what it does to us and, and what we can do with it. Uh, the, the, the forces of nature, for example, we understand now how weather works. Our ancestors um, in the prehistoric times, they didn't. So they kind of got, you know, they were afraid of, of, of the forces of nature sometimes. As they got to understand it, they didn't need to be afraid anymore because they could work around it, right? Uh, same with technology. You need to be able to understand it to some extent in order to, to work around it and not become... A, a, a victim of it isn't it that's basically it and that's when technology gets amazing if you if you kind of get the gist of it regardless of your technical level or education 
right? I'm holding a pledoyer here. I'm sorry. No, on. but it comes, but it comes back to to what we always discuss with our AI and big data guests, which is um, our computer is smarter than us. Um, is the human being getting dumber and dumber, and um, or is our own technology gonna outrun us, outplay us one day? But this is another conspiracy theory, which was played out in a lot of movies out there. See, so that's let's the not thing. get into it. That's the thing. As long as we stay curious and try to ask the right questions um, and aren't afraid of asking dumb questions sometimes, I think we won't get to that point. There is no dumb question, Tim, I would that's say, the, because every question that's the thing. Has, if, that's the thing. has an underlying like need of knowledge. And mm. as long as you can provide people with knowledge, people will be always... Well, the human, the human species itself is always a species that wants to explore and go further and beyond and right. this is there's nothing called a stupid question because everything always helps us taking that step beyond and a step further yeah exactly yeah that's that's what i say actually there's no stupid question um if the question is if someone calls your question stupid it's maybe because that person doesn't want to answer your question in an honest way and that you were right about asking this exact stupid question um yeah so guys stay curious um stupid do you remember the scene from um forrest gump yeah yeah forrest gump I, what, what is this becoming a movie recital uh, no, session now? <laughs> <laughs> no we're gonna make a new podcast we're gonna call it uh, movie buffs for techies or yeah, something like that. that's another podcast <laughs> uh, in, in in the lineup Anyways. no guys stay tuned for more gaia x content and stuff about tech uh get in touch if you want to participate in any shape or form or yeah, and please subscribe on spotify Google Podcast, um, Podbean. Um, well, where else are we on? Uh, yeah, we have a LinkedIn channel now, Uptime Punks officially. You can reach out to us. You can write to us if you have any concerns, um, if you think our content is a little bit too outrageous. But anyway, um, you guys enjoy. Be safe and keep a positive mind. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. See you next time, guys. Bye.